digital fundraising in international locations. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm privileged to welcome back my colleague, Shavant Trevesta. Shavant is part of the research team at the Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy, in which resides the fundraising school. Shavant, thanks so much for being back with us here on the fundraising school's podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. This latest topic of discussion with Siobhan's expertise is a report that the school has published called Digital for Good. Siobhan, first of all, give us some context. What is this study all about? Sure. So the project called Digital for Good, a global study on emerging ways of giving, um, it explored emerging vehicles of philanthropy, such as crowdfunding, online giving, workplace giving, donor advised funds, mobile giving, and other social impact initiatives in eight pilot countries with various um, diverse cultures. Um, so it was Brazil, China, India, Kenya, South Singapore, South Africa, South Korea, and the United Kingdom. And we specifically chose these countries because we found that there was an emerging philanthropic market and environment in these countries. Yeah, and, and why the reason for the study? So it's great that these eight were chosen intentionally. There's some characteristics about them that are similar, but then there are distinctions amongst them in terms of cultural and forms of government and things of that nature. Uh, but again, what was the context of the study overall that let uh, your curiosity and that of our research team delve deeply into this topic? Sure. Well, as you know, our research team does have a um, very wide and um, specific global focus on how the philanthropic environment is developing worldwide. But uh, during the COVID years, um, we wanted to delve deeper into a few countries to see how COVID might be affecting giving in these countries as well. Since we did see in the United States that COVID um, shifted giving a little bit, we moved more online to more digital methods of fundraising and giving. And we wanted to see if this trend also was replicated in other countries. Yeah, what a great question. Uh, obviously, digital behavior overall escalating caused by COVID. Uh, whether it be our retail shopping, how we communicate with one another. And we certainly saw that in the United States uh, happen in an increased manner through digital charitable giving. And we also know just, uh, you know, digital behavior overall internationally, we see that in terms of social movements and other philanthropic behaviors as people are communicating with each other on these digital channels. So the question is, hmm, what is that now meaning for charitable giving? And Siobhan, as you mentioned, there are these five topics. One is contactless giving. What is contactless giving? And what did the study find? Well, contactless giving in this context could mean anything from mobile giving, online giving, um, any form of giving that was contactless. And in these countries, we specific, specifically found that there was an accelerated use of contactless, contactless giving, uh, specifically during the COVID years. But even before COVID, we had seen some rise in contactless, contactless giving in um, all of these countries. And so we're seeing an increase uh, in these eight nations. And then where does crypto fit in? And of course, during the time of the study, crypto was really enjoying quite a high point, quite a wave that maybe has diminished a little bit, not just in terms of economic value, but people having more questions and wondering if this can be trusted. But at least in the time frame of this study, what did you all discover related to cryptocurrency? Sure. So cryptocurrency giving is still emerging in these countries, specifically more so in South Africa and South Korea, while it was still in its infancy in some countries like the United Kingdom. Um, however, in, in China, in India and Singapore, cryptocurrency donations were limited 
by strict rules governing cryptocurrencies from the government. Whereas um, we, we will require more data in countries such as Brazil and Kenya to uh, further expand on our knowledge on cryptocurrency giving. And again, that's certainly consistent with what we're seeing in the United States. At first, there was very little regulation. We're starting to see more regulation from our national government uh, as people try to figure out cryptocurrency, the best way, not just for commerce, but also for charitable donations as well. Now, we know in the United States, donor-advised funds just continue to reach new heights from one year to the next, the data that become available. What did you and your colleagues learn internationally? So donor-advised funds were actually one of the most rapidly expanding charitable vehicles in Singapore. For instance, staffs at the Community Foundation of Singapore rose from 143 in 2020 to 162 in 2021. Um, DAFs were also um, more commonly used in countries such as Brazil, India, and Kenya, but they were not exactly a common giving vehicle, but they are on the rise. On the other hand, um, China, South Africa, and South Korea, and the United Kingdom uh, noticed a steady rise in donor-advised funds as well. So we do see donor-advised funds being a more popular form of philanthropic um, giving in these countries. So you mentioned Singapore as an example. Just a quick math in my head. I think you said it went from like 120 to, to 160, uh, maybe like a one-third increase over time. But it's still a small number. So how, can you put that into context for us? So, you know, the increase in the N in the sample increased by quite a large percentage. Is this uh, becoming more current? Is it uh, just more novel yet growing? How would you assess what you uh, see in donor advised funds uh, in these countries that you've studied? We would say it's novel, but still in its growth phase. And all of these countries being um, there, they have pretty international finance markets and also um, just an international environment. So we do see a lot of um, different individuals as well as corporations um, kind of increase their efforts to expand philanthropic giving in, within these countries, but also across um, the, the region. There's no doubt that the momentum is continuing around donor advised funds, not just in the United States, but as we learned from this study in other locations across the world as well. How about impact investing? We know that, you know, some donors want to see, uh, you know, financial return as they're making their charitable gift and all sorts of different arrangements that can fall under this umbrella of impact investing. What did you see in the study? Sure. So the development of impact investing in the philanthropic sector differs from country to country. So the United Kingdom was one of the pioneering countries in our list. Um, beyond the UK, in India, one of the biggest impact investing initiatives was focused on financial inclusion, um, which was focused on around uh, low-income citizens as well as other low-income neighborhoods and including them around the initiatives. Uh, in China, where impact in investing is also well-developed at this point, um, leading foundations have invested a lot of projects initiated by nonprofit organizations and social enterprises. And so it's something that you're seeing happen. And it sounds like, Siobhan, it's expressed in different ways based on the country. And, and just kind of my initial reaction to that is, Kind of makes sense, right? Because mm -hmm. if I'm an impact investor, that is a very unique way of charitable behavior, let alone each project is unique. Is that correct that you see a lot of uh, unique distinction uh, across yeah. impact investing? Yes, certainly, because each country has um, its different economic environment as well as different social environments. So I think nonprofit organizations and social entrepreneurs and enterprises are kind of honing in their efforts on how to um, really apply impact investing in their case. 
That is so fascinating. So fascinating. Now, this last category is on everybody's mind. Workplace giving. Now that, you know, more and more employees work remotely or maybe in a hybrid, you're asked to come in maybe twice a week or three times a week. And it might not even be the same days as my colleagues when they're coming into the office, uh, let alone those who are back to the more traditional work schedule. This has been a big question received by the fundraising school. What in the world is happening with workplace giving now that not everybody is going back into the workplace to work or that their workplace is, is now their home? So when I say what in the world is happening, according to this report, Shabbat, what in the world is happening? Because you looked at this in eight different countries. Mm -hmm. So we found that in those eight countries, some of them obviously did not have a strong culture of workplace giving. But in Kenya and South Africa, there was a um, strong culture of workplace giving and also an enormous potential to encourage um, a culture of giving, uh, support community needs and enhance employment, employee fulfillment. And in Kenya and South Africa specifically, we see that um, workplace giving was focused around community-based um, employee giving campaigns, as well as payroll giving and employee matching gifts. So there was a real strong connection between workplace giving, uh, employee giving, and how the workers and employees wanted to support community needs. Devon, as we uh, conclude our conversation here, um, if we could just kind of take a step back, kind of look at the forest, and now we've looked at the individual trees, kind of look at the forest. What advice do you have for fundraisers? What are maybe some of the more macro takeaways whether I'm fundraising here in the United States, whether I'm doing cross-cultural, cross-national fundraising anywhere across the world. Um, what advice do you have for fundraisers uh, on the lessons learned from these results and from these data that they can apply to their fundraising? Sure. So, I mean, one of the biggest lessons across the board we no noticed globally was that um, digital giving has been uh, adopted at an accelerated rate. So, not just donations inside the United States, but two other countries from the United States might be more digitally facilitated now. And similarly, the, the development and also the existence of these various giving vehicles in these countries also signifies to us that they are catching up and also building a huge and um, wide philanthropic vehicles in their country and the, the environment as well. So I think there's a huge potential and opportunity for fundraising here and the philanthropic environment here to engage with other countries in a similar way um, to as what the United States might have been developing for a while. For example, um, the retail giving has been around it for a while in the United States, but um, it's, it's a relatively new concept in Brazil, but it's fast growing. And actually during the pandemic, um, a lot of retail stores um, shifted their retail giving online to online shopping. And that was, that was another um, driver of online giving, specifically during the COVID years in Brazil. What a wonderful synthesis of the research from Shavant Travesta, wonderful member of our research team at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, pointing out that while those of us who work primarily in the United States have seen a huge increase in digital charitable giving, we're starting to see other charitable behaviors happening in the digital space elsewhere around the world, and some of them have been around for a while and growing, or Siobhan just noted, some of them are new and growing, uh, but it gives all of us in the fundraising profession confidence that digital is a modality that can appeal to more and more donors 
uh, across this world. And of course, digital fundraising is something that we discuss in our Certificate for Digital Fundraising courses. You take these online, see what we did there? Can't take a course online, can't fundraise digitally, right? Uh, so you take those courses, you earn the certificate in digital fundraising. That's one of four certificates that we have with 22 public courses in person or online. And we're online, we're recorded or live, uh, both asynchronous and synchronous, so to speak. And of course, then we can take bits and parts of our courses and tailor make them just for you in our custom training programs, or we can bring one of those courses just to your nonprofit or your association in the United States and anywhere across the world. Some of our favorite teaching opportunities when we're teaching fundraisers located across the planet, we get to do that at the same time via Zoom. We have our quarterly webinars and these free podcasts, and of course, a wonderful uh, gathering of all of our knowledge in our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. Now, for this research report, Digital for Good, uh, the website is philanthropy.iupui.edu. And you'll see a toolbar across the top of the page and look for the research tab and click there and find the Digital for Good research study. For the fundraising school, you go over just a little bit on the toolbar and you'll find the fundraising school. Again, the website, philanthropy.iupui.edu. I'm so grateful to my colleague, Siobhan Travesto, for joining us today to give us insights on this very important study. Our producers are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich. And now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.